Today we're going to look at the scripture in, in Mark chapter 12 and, and look at, again, looking at this impact that Jesus makes uh, in our lives and, uh, and looking uh, at this, these last days leading up to the cross. And, uh, and because of the cross, I mean, that's why he's not only the way maker, he has already made the way. Uh, he, he has, and, and he has already kept his promise, and he always keeps his promises. But that's what, I, you know, as we were singing that and looking at the cross back behind there, I was thinking, that's you. Uh, on the cross, you are making a way. You are keeping every promise that you ever made uh, for everyone that you said that, that they could be saved, for everyone that you said their sins were forgiven. The reason Jesus could say that is because he knew what was coming. Uh, he knew that he was going to the cross. And so that ought to impact our lives. This Jesus who we've been singing about, who, who, who died on the cross for our sins, who rose from the dead for, for new life and for eternal life, that very Jesus ought to impact everything that we do. And, and, and that's why we're looking at him. That's why we're walking uh, with him uh, through uh, this interaction with people, through the miracles that he performed, through the teaching that he has. And we're continuing this teaching on, on this Tuesday leading up to the cross where he'll die on the cross that Friday. And Mark uh, uh, chapter uh, tw uh, 12, uh, we're going to be looking at some questions that are asked. This Tuesday was a day of questioning. Uh, and here the questioning continues, which the, the question arises, is it okay for us to question the Lord? Is it okay for us to ask him questions? Well, it depends. It depends on where those questions are coming from. It depends on the motives behind those questions. If you're questioning uh, the Lord or, or questioning God because you want to know him better, you want to know more about him, you want to know how you can worship him more, you want to know how faithful he is, go ahead and question God in that way uh, and he will answer those questions and he will draw you closer. If you're wanting to know the truth, uh, the truth about the, the, the word of God, the truth about salvation, the truth about us, then, then you can question God. He has the answers for those things. But if you're just asking God, questions so that you can figure out if you want to decide for yourself what is most convenient for you or what fits into your lifestyle or not, you may not get the answers that you're looking for. Or if you're questioning God like some of these folks were to just kind of uh, excuse yourself so you can turn away from God, trying to come up with some difficult question that he can't answer and so you can deny that he's God, then you're, you're asking it the wrong way. You see, it's are we moving closer to God or are we trying to find excuses to move away from God? That's the question. You know, um, oftentimes in, uh, in, in looking at things in our culture and looking at things, and, and ministry is where I see this a lot, there are these concentric circles. Y'all know what concentric circles are? I think there it is up on the screen there. It kind of looks like a bullseye, doesn't it? And it's that type of idea that, the, that you have the focus in the, in the middle there, but when you're talking about circles of people or groups of people, usually you have, you have different, and you can go different levels. You can have as many as, you know, you can get as many circles as you want to. You can have five, 10, 12 circles. And it kind of, 
the idea of it is, is that outside you have the big crowd that, that fits into this group, and then within that group you have a smaller group, and within that group you have a smaller group. Those are the concentric circles. When you're, you're doing ministry, you talk about, well, we're going to do ministry to all those who are lost, but we're going to focus even more on those in our community, and then we're going to focus more, not just those in our community, but those that are unchurched and, and seeking God in our, in our community. That's where we're going to focus our, our, our ministry at, our certain ministry at. That's kind of the way it works in, in, in churches. It's, it's found really all throughout Scripture, not the circles themselves, but that type of idea. In the Old Testament, you had the, the children of Israel out there in the wilderness that were, were there and supposed to be worshiping God. But when God showed up on the mountain, you had a group of elders that, that, that came out of that group and that drew a little bit closer, but they wouldn't go all the way up on the mountain. And then you had Joshua and Moses that actually went into the presence of God uh, uh, there as well. The, as, you, as you narrow your focus, the, the group gets smaller. You have that among the disciples. You have, you know, the, the crowd. You could go uh, multiple circles with this and stuff where you have the crowd, those that, that kind of followed him or, or that just went around with him to see what miracle is going to perform. And then you had those that were impacted by Jesus in such a way that they not only wanted to see the miracles, but they wanted to hear his teaching. They were, they were committed to him. And then within that, you had the 12 that had left everything to follow after him. But even among the 12, you had those, that inner circle of, of Peter and James and John and, and how they even drew closer. They're the ones that went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. And so as we ask these questions and stuff, as we look at the question is, are we drawing closer to the Lord, or are we just trying to find an excuse to, say, to stay outside, to stay on the outer rim? Are you, right now, are you drawing closer to the Lord? Here we have in the verses we're looking at today, we're going to see three more questions that are asked of Jesus. And as we move in these questions, the circles are going to get smaller and smaller. The first question that we have is a trapping question. And by the way, you can't trap Jesus. But there is a, a, a question that's designed to trick him, to test him, to trap him, if you will, in verse 13. He says, Then uh, they sent to him some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to catch him in his words. These are important that these are the groups that, that come to him. And notice their purpose, to catch him in his words. It says, and when they had come, they said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and care about no one, for you do not regard the person. And when they say you care about no one, they're not saying that he doesn't love anybody. They're saying that he doesn't show preference to people, okay? He says, but you do not regard the person of man, but teach the way of God in truth. And they are flattering him, but they didn't really agree with what they just said. And so here's the trapping question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, Jesus, knowing their hypocrisy, and by the way, he knows ours as well, he said to them, why do you test me? Bring me a denarius or a Roman coin that I may see it. So they brought it, and he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus answered and said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God 
the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. This is a question intended to trap him. You see, really it's, a, it's an attack upon Jesus. And some questions are that way. They're, they're designed to uh, attack Jesus, to try to prove Jesus to be wrong, to get him to say something that is wrong or to find something that is wrong. And that's the way some people are, are question the Bible and question Christianity and question Jesus. They're trying to make him out to be, to be wrong. You see, the Pharisees and the Herodians are uniting together against Jesus. The Pharisees were against Rome. They uh, opposed Rome. They wanted to overthrow Rome. They didn't think you should give the Romans anything. And then you have the Herodians. Those are the ones that, that worked with Rome. Those are the ones who supported Rome. And they thought that we ought to, to get along for peace's sake and, and do everything. And matter of fact, the Herodians were the ones that profited because Rome was, was ruling over Israel at that time. See, they're not coming for, for information. They're coming for confrontation is what they are doing. They're there with Jesus. Notice, they're there with Jesus. They're, they're listening to what he's saying, but they still have this trapping, attacking, confronting type question because they're wanting to prove Jesus wrong. Now listen to me this morning, and those that are, that are watching online as well, listen to me. You can be around Jesus, but be far from Jesus. You can't. These people were around Jesus. They had heard what Jesus has taught. They, as a matter of fact, they used some of that to kind of flatter him and, and what they are. But they are far from Jesus and they're not drawing near Jesus. Your worship this morning, your involvement in, in Christianity, your involvement in the church, let me ask you, is it about you and you getting what you want or is it about him and giving him what he deserves? You can be around Jesus and still far from Jesus. So we see the attack and then we see the answer, the true answer. By the way, Jesus is the truth. And as he responds to this, he, he tells them, he says, uh, he, he asks them, why do you test me? He says, give me a denarius, give me a coin. Sidebar here, okay? I'm going off to the side because it's a sidebar, right? <laughs> did you notice Jesus did not even have a coin? To me, that kind of blows the lid off this prosperity gospel. Jesus has to ask for a coin. It's not about prosperity. It's about knowing him. It's about eternal life. It's about, yes, it's, it's spiritual prosperity. It's, it's finding the, everything that we need in life for this life and, the, and eternal life as well. And Jesus provides for all that. If we're seeking riches, if we're seeking money, if we're seeking to be materially uh, uh, prosperous in, in everything that we do, you won't find that following Jesus because there are things far more important than that. That's what he's fixing to, to basically expose to them as well. Just, just a sidebar. But he goes to them and, and, and he tells them, he says, why do you test me? You see, Jesus knows who we are and who we serve. Matter of fact, it said there, he said, but he, before he even makes a statement, he says, he knew their hypocrisy. 
He knew where they were coming from. He knew that they weren't sincere in their, their flattery there. He knew that they were just trying to trap him and, and to get him to say something because if he said that you didn't have to follow Rome, then the Roman government would have a reason to a, a arrest him because he's inciting insurrection. And if he said follow Rome, then the people uh, that were uh, against Rome and that had been beaten down by Rome, they would turn their backs on them. So they thought they had him. No. Jesus is not concerned with our, our tricking ways, our deceitful ways. Well, he knows our deceitful ways because he knows who we are and he knows who we serve. He says, why do you test me? He says that because he knew their motives. And then it says he knew their hypocrisy. He knew their hearts. He knows our hearts. He knows who we are. Quit trying to impress God with your actions and with your words and with what you're, you're, you're doing. You, you cannot impress God. You don't need to impress God. He knows who you are. The best thing that could happen today is for us to get open and honest with God. He already knows who we are. He already knows who we serve. Our highest obligation, as he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God. That last part is what he's teaching. That last part is what is so important. To render to God the things that are God. Our highest obligation in everything that we do, not just in political decisions, not just in economic decisions, not just in health decisions, but in everything that is in our life, our obligation is to serve God, is to honor God, is to render to God uh, all that is the things that are God. And what things are God's? Everything is His. To give everything to Him. You know, we're concerned about what's going on politically in our nation as well. And we, we should make that a matter of prayer. But ultimately, whatever happens in the future, and I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I don't know if there's going to be a resurgence among conservatism and, and, and that the next election things are, are going to change or if, there's going to, or if we're going to drift further and further away into to, to liberal. I don't know, but i tell you what, whatever happens three years from now, four years from now, five years from now, the people of God ought to still be serving God. And following after Him. And honoring Him in everything that we do. You know, I'm thankful to be a part of the greatest nation in the world. But understand this, when we get to heaven, when everything is said and done, when Jesus comes back, it doesn't matter which nation was the greatest nation. All that will matter is Him. Render to God the things that are God. Give God everything and live your life for Him. That's the answer. Second question. This question is not quite as bad as the first, but it's still not where it needs to be. It's a hypothetical question. Look with me in verse 18 where it says, Then some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection among the 
the religious parties of, of Israel. There were the Pharisees and there were the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the more conservative, ultra-conservative, legalistic. You've got to adding things to the law as far as what you've got to do and what you can do in certain situations. And then you had the Sadducees that were more liberal, that basically didn't believe in the supernatural. Some of the Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to him, came to Jesus, and they asked him saying, Teacher, Moses wrote to us that if a man's brother dies and leaves his wife behind and leaves no children, his brother should take his wife and raise up offspring uh, for his brother. That's back in the, in the book of Deuteronomy and I think in Leviticus as, as well, but especially uh, in Deuteronomy. It's this idea that to carry on the family line, that's what you would do. Verse 20 says, now there were, here's the hypothetical, okay? Now there were seven brothers and the first took a wife and dying, he left no offspring or children. The second took her and he died, nor did he leave any offspring or children. And the third likewise. So seven had her and left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be? For all seven had her as wife. Jesus answered and said to them, are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses in the burning bush passage how God spoke to him saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. You therefore are, you are therefore greatly mistaken. So they come up with this smart question. These Sadducees that denied the resurrection decided to ask him a question about the resurrection. And they use this, they, where this woman and she marries, uh, she doesn't have a child and she marries the brother and she doesn't have a child and she marries a brother and doesn't have a child. Does that seven times, then, then, then who's she married to? You know, they're, they're trying to prove that they're smarter than, than, than Jesus. They're, they're trying to, the Jesus who, who is the great I am, not the I was, he is the great I am, the God of the living, the Jesus who raised Lazarus from the dead. They're gonna teach him about the resurrection. The, the Jesus who taught the resurrection from the dead and, 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 and taught it clearly, they're gonna teach him about the resurrection. The Jesus who by, by next Sunday is gonna be raised from the dead himself. They're gonna teach him. You cannot outsmart Jesus. You can't. You can't. There will always be questions, hypothetical questions that you can come up with that the Bible doesn't answer. The Bible is all true, but it is not a trivia book. It is not written to answer every hypothetical question that we can come up with. The answer is not a certain situation or a certain word. That the answer is Jesus. And that's the, the purpose of, is to bring us to Jesus, to point us to Jesus. He is the, the answer in this book. And if you figure out all the hypothetical questions or, or try to come up with all these hypothetical questions that, that are not answered, and you neglect Jesus, you've missed it all. You've missed it all. So they come up with this smart question, and Jesus gives the wise answer. And in this, he does... 
answer some things about the resurrection as he talks about the new life when he says when they rise from the dead they're neither married nor given in marriage. Basically he's saying is when that happens you won't care about that, all right? You're going to be in the presence of God. You're going to be in the presence of Jesus. It's, that's, that's what's going to overwhelm you. That's what life is all about. Life is not about what we experience here on this earth. Life is about Jesus and, and about living with him and walking with him and being with him forever. And so he, that's what he is, he's teaching here. And, and in verse 26, he talks about the God who is the God of the forever, the forever God who is the great I am, the I am, uh, the, the God of, of Abraham. But not only is he saying that, but he's saying I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, who were all dead, and yet he is still their God. And by the way, when we get to heaven, he'll still be our God. And he'll be alive, and so will we. He's the great I am, not the great I was. But what is the answer that he's, he's given these answers? But what is the focus of his answer? Well, he says it twice at the beginning and the end. He says in verse 24, he says, Are you not therefore mistaken? And then he says at the end, You are therefore greatly mistaken. What is he saying here? He's saying the greatest mistake is to reject the living God. You can come up, if the questions that you're asking, you're asking questions so that you can justify your rejection of the living God, that is the greatest mistake you can ever make. Ever make. There's more we could say there, but let's move on to this last question because I like it best. Now we're getting, if you remember up on the screen, now we're getting to that center circle with a sincere question. Notice verse 20. Uh, not verse 20, but verse 28. It says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well. Do you see what's going on here? This one guy comes in and says, Okay. I'm going to ask a real question. Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, just answers his question. The first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And because you really want to know the truth, let me go ahead and share a little bit more with you. The second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. You have spoken the truth for there is one God and there is no other but he and to love him with all the heart, with all understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Bingo. When Jesus saw, he answered wisely. He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared 
question him. You see, there's a humble approach to God. And listen, God is patient, God is forgiving, and there are times when I've approached God in prideful arrogance, and I praise the Lord, he didn't strike me dead. <laughs> there have been times when I have, I've approached him in pity, self-pity and pouting and feeling sorry for myself, and God did not strike me dead. I'm thankful for that. But the right approach to God is one of humility and sincerity. To bow before him and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your help. See, this guy, verse 20, in verse 28, this scribe that comes, a scribe is one that studies the law of God. And so what he's been doing, he's been studying the law of God. He knows the law of God. He knows the word of God. And as he's listening to Jesus, and he, as he is hearing Jesus, he's hearing the same things in him. And he's every, everything that Jesus is saying is matching up. And by the way, everything that Jesus did in the New Testament does match up in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, there's there's really no division there. It's all one book. One, as it flows together, it is all pointing toward what's fixing to happen this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that's going to take place. And so it, it should match up. And so he sees that. He sees it matching up. And as he's doing that, as he's seeing that, his spirit is being drawn to Jesus. And I got good news for you. Jesus receives Sincere seekers. He does. He, he, if you're coming to God and you want, the, you want answers, you, you, you need him, you need him to, to explain some things, he will speak into your life. He will help you with those things. See, this man is, is moving toward God. He's moving from the curious as, as he's uh, studying the word of God and, and sees some things and hears some, some, some teachings here as to, to being hopeful because as he's looking at the life and the teaching of Jesus and looking at what the Old Testament matches, there's no violation to the law of God. He's never seen anybody like this. Everybody he's ever known, including himself, has had multiple violations of the word of God and he can't find anything. And so we say, who are you? <laughs> what, what's, what's going on? He's, he's sincerely seeking after him. And so he asked this question, and Jesus answers it, and his heart just leaps within him. That's exactly what he needed to hear. That's exactly the truth of the word of God. He brings it out that of all the commandments of God, this is the most important, and he draws closer to him. It's a humble approach, and Jesus gives the hard answer. I want you to understand, this is it. This is the answer. Whatever question you have, it ought to lead you right here to what? To love the Lord. Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength that is all that matters go ahead give to Caesar the things that are Caesar that doesn't matter this is what matters he said this is the greatest commandment to love the Lord your God love agape love sacrificial love the type of love that he has demonstrated for us he sacrificed everything for us we sacrifice everything for him and we love the Lord the, the one true God there is no other God but him he is Lord and we love the Lord our 
our God. He said, you shall love the Lord your God. He makes it very personal. He's not just a God. He's not just the God. He's my God. And so we love him. We love him with all our heart, full passion to him, no divided passions. He has all my passion. We love him with all our soul. I'm willing to do whatever he tells me to do. The soul is the will of the person with all our mind. I'm fully engaged. I meet with him in his word. The things I don't understand, I ask for his help, his guidance in understanding those things. And with all my strength, that means everything this body does, everything I have, I give to him. You see, Jesus deserves and desires your love. He deserves our love because of everything that he has done for us. And he desires our love because of everything that he has done for us and because of everything that he is. He says, love the Lord your God. But he loved us first. And he's the one that showed us what love was. And then we express that love and our love for others. As we love our neighbor as ourself. That means we love the lost people, the lost people that are not like us, the lost people that don't know Jesus. We serve them. We, we point them to Jesus. We love our brothers and our sisters in Christ even those that have offended us, even those that have disagreed with us, even those that may have neglected us, we still love them because we love him. And we even love our enemies. And those that even oppose the kingdom of God, we still love them. We pray for them and pray that they might come to know Jesus as well. And then he answers and says well said teacher and he gives this but notice what jesus says to him in verse 34 he said you're not far from the kingdom of god you're not far keep moving keep moving to him so let me ask you this is your heart drawing near to jesus are you moving toward him? Which direction are you moving? You remember those circles? Are you moving out, away? Are you moving in? Are you drawing close? Our relationship with God is to be one of the heart, heart to heart. Listen, we... Uh, if you're following the news and everything that is going on, I don't know what's ahead of us. We're going to keep worshiping God. We're going to keep serving God. And that's where we need to be. We need to be so in love with Jesus that no matter what happens around us, no matter what happens in our nation, no matter what happens in our family, no matter what happens in our own personal lives, we're going to love God and we're going to serve God with everything that we have. And we're going to love people like he does. We're going to let him love others through us. It's all that matters. Of all the questions, the only thing that matters is the question we need to answer. Do you love God with all your heart? Are you drawing 
close to him. This is Doug Ferris, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here at Underwood Baptist Church. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. It's our prayer that you'll do more than listen to the sermon or gather religious information. We want you to encounter God, and we pray that He will impact your life. If you'd like to contact us for any reason, please go to our website at underwoodbaptist.org. All our contact information is there, and we look forward to hearing from you. I hope you are blessed by today's message.